Hello again, everyone. This is your friend Kent C. Dodds, and I am joined by Dan Abramoff. Hi there. <laughs> and uh, we are super excited. This is a second show that Dan has been on on this show that I've not actually released yet. So, um, but all of you listening, I have now. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going to be, uh, last time we talked about hooks and um, really awesome conversation. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I uh, suggest that you do. Um, now we're going to be talking about uh, the future of React um, and some of the things that React is is planning. It's, um, you know, React is not a done thing. There are still uh, things to be to be improved and done here. Um, and there are several projects that are uh, at different stages of development right now um, that maybe we've heard of a lot, maybe we haven't heard of as much. And I want to dive into some of those things and, and also like think more broadly, what is the, the overarching goal? What's the end game for React? What are we really striving for here? So um, yeah, to, to get into that, um, and I, I'm, I guess I just want to kind of start on um, when you discover that there is something missing in React, what is the process to um, kind of decide not only um, that this is a thing that should be solved by React or, or should be changed in React to solve this problem, but also um, determine what the solution should be? What's that process there? Yeah. Uh, I think like uh, a lot of it is just like listening and reading. So we get a lot of feedback from everywhere, like from GitHub, from Twitter, from like internally, obviously, like we have a lot of people using React at Facebook for like different kinds of products on different platforms with different constraints. And so we, uh, I think if you, like if you work, like if you respond to like questions and if you look at the problems people run into, and like um, the thing that uh, things that bother them, I think eventually, or like even like if you look at the ecosystem solutions where people can try to plug some hole in React or like uh, work around something that React does that they don't want it to do, uh, I think eventually just start noticing common themes between them. So it may be that React is missing something, or that React is like doing something that it shouldn't be doing uh, or that some solution is not optimal. And I think in many cases it's tempting to, like if I were personally designing a library, I would probably just like try to try to do like a, a the smallest possible kind of fix. So like I would add some API, I don't know, like imagine like data fetch, right? So like you, you can see that, uh, like all React components need to do data fetching, but they also need to like manage loading states. Mm. So maybe like, should I just like build some kind of like loading state manager into into uh, a library? And like, if I was personally designing a library, maybe that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. uh, but luckily, I <laughs> I don't design React. Uh, <laughs> at least like, uh, I I help, but like I work on a team. Uh, and I think the the approach that the team has been taken to those things. Uh, especially Sebastian. So Sebastian Mark Bogic is kind of our, like a visionary for like React. Mm. And like he, he has all, all kinds of uh, funny ideas, <laughs> but his, his way of working is very interesting. So I think what he does is he listens to, like he listens to a lot of like feedback and uh, what people ask for, but then he takes a step back and he's like well why does this problem exist in the first place mm. and i mean it's it's kind of natural so like you, you you want to do a step back like when you're thinking about the solutions but uh what's interesting about sebastian is that he go he goes like 10 step backs or like <laughs> 50 steps back uh like he's like because of react like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like uh it's I mean, it, it is like trade-offs. Like sometimes mm. we do introduce problems. So like React ensures that the render result is consistent between mounts and updates, but that can make it more difficult to do animations. So mm. like now we have to solve the animation problem somehow. 
And so it's like, it's always a trade-off, like which problem is worse or like mm. which problem is more common. And then sometimes you create a new problem and then you have to like plug it too. And eventually like you solve enough cases that it's like, it's it's good enough, like pretty good. And then you have like escape hatches for, uh, for like the cases that somehow don't fit that. Uh, yeah. But I think what's interesting about his way of thinking is that he, he backtracks uh, very far. And sometimes he notices that like, everybody makes the same assumption and he's like, no, but why do we even like think of it that way? Why don't we like think about it differently? And then that can unlock a whole new, like a whole new path for a solution that is like completely different than what anybody else tried. Uh, And I think like that's really the spark. So like that's, that's the first thing is that there, like for every project that we do, there's gotta be some vision. There's gotta be some, some spark that is like, wait, what if we like try this? Uh, could, could, could it uh, could it solve a whole class of problems? Uh, and so after that, we like usually then it just goes into backlog and like uh, maybe we do this in a month, maybe we do this in six months, maybe we do, we do this in two years. Uh, like mm. we have this uh, we have this funny page uh, with like a list of code names uh, that is like for projects that don't really exist. <laughs> uh, that are like uh, aspirational, so like some of them are not even like possible today. Um, but it's it's like a bank of these like ideas and uh, these insights of like wouldn't be cool if we try if if we tried this. And then at some point, it feels like the place and time is right. It's like maybe like uh, maybe we just like this has to be fixed because like some other issue made it worse, and now. So, like, hooks are a good example of that, actually. Um, we were, so we had the legacy context API, the one with uh, context th- before create context. So there was, mm-hmm. like, context types and child context types, not context type, but context types. Mm-hmm. That's the legacy yeah. one. Uh, like, consumer is not legacy. That's, like, that's all part of the new that's one. the new stuff. <laughs> right. But, like, we had this legacy API that was pretty broken. Like it was never, it was not documented at first. There were like warnings everywhere saying, don't use it. It's experimental. It's going to like fall away. But then the, it was clearly like needed. So it's, everybody used it anyway, because like the feature itself was so valuable, even if it was half broken. And so eventually like we realized we can't fix this existing API, but we can make a new one that solves the same problem in a better way that actually works. And so that's the, what the new context API was. Uh, but we released it with this uh, provider consumer API pair with, where consumer is a render prop. Like not because the render props are like fashionable, but just because like the API design itself like needed to be composable. Mm-hmm. And so we, we kind of relied on render prop to do that. But that kind of makes made things worse <laughs> because now that you like now that you use render props everywhere, like your tree is just like it's Sweet hard tree. to read what's going on, and you can't access it from a lifecycle. Um, so Sebastian has this uh, like saying, like make it worse to make it better. <laughs> um, so I think that's what happened with the context API. We know we knew we needed to solve that problem. We solved it. The solution itself introduced another problem, and the pain from it was so annoying that it it kind of led to hooks. Mm-hmm. So like it it led, which like solved other problems uh, for us. Mm-hmm. So it's just sometimes you need enough pressure on some pain point where you're like, okay, actually we gotta solve this now, and like we have something that that that, that replaces it. So I think that's that's the path from like the inception of idea to the point where you're like, okay, we got to make this happen. And like, we got to at least try it. And then we try it. And like, we dog food it at Facebook. We see if that even works. Uh, so that, that process can take like months, could take a year. Uh, but eventually the project, like we feel when it's good enough. We've... So we started by focusing on one use case. We usually find like one team that wants something. And we work closely with that specific team, and like they, um, we make sure that the API or like the solution or whatever satisfies their particular use case. And usually, that gives us like first round of feedback is like this doesn't work, this this is bad, like this is slow. And so then we iterate on it, and eventually they're happy. And then we are ready to kind of take on more like client teams. 
So like maybe we have like two or three teams of Facebook using something. And eventually we kind of roll it out internally and more and more people use it. And so if once we satisfy like three or four teams, we feel like the API is generic enough and like we also know it better, we like feel more confident about it. And that's when it, we release it to open source. And that also gives us some feedback like in alphas and so on, and that can lead to some changes. But it's like this gradual, like graduation process mm-hmm. of uh, like focusing on one customer, then a few more, a few more, and then doing this broad, like beta testing and then rolling it out. Uh, and that's that's how we release projects. No, oh, that's that's cool. Um, w- one of the things that I uh, take a great deal of comfort in is knowing that Facebook has uh, fifty thousand or more React components, and so anytime a lot you... more, I think it's like ninety thousand. Oh my goodness! Wow, my my information is out of date. Um, yeah, but uh, just knowing that there's such a huge amount of of React components there. Um, that nothing could possibly happen to React that would make it so hard for me to upgrade, uh, because you know Facebook um, needs to make it easy to to migrate or upgrade or whatever uh, as well. So we're never going to have a you know here's the new framework situation uh, with React, which is cool. Uh, that said, there are cool things that um, are kind of opt in that um, that we can uh, get into and whether it's like when we had um, uh, react fiber that wasn't really an opt-in it was more like um, this thing should all of your existing stuff should hopefully work Um, and uh, and then we have hooks and that's this new opt-in feature all of your stuff continues to work but now you can use this new feature Um, i i know that there's this project uh, react fire which is um, unfortunate naming with React Fiber, but there you go. <laughs> but uh, um, so that's kind of intentional because, like, you're not supposed to use the, those names. Those mm. are just code names. Mm. So, like, the point of those code names, uh, in a large part, is because uh, we realized that giving them concrete names like React, like this thing, uh, it actually can cause problems because now you're kind of hung up on this idea of oh, like this project is like this specific thing. Mm. Whereas actually like you don't really know yet until you like try to implement it and dock food it and so on. And so we found that code names are really useful because they give us something abstract that we don't have to attach a very specific meaning to. And that uh, that kind of makes it more obvious when the meaning needs to change. And then eventually when we feel like we settled on what this project really does, uh, the name just, it's just obvious how to call it. And then when that's when we give it like a name and we ship it and then it's just React. So it's not a like it's not a project anymore, like React Fire or anything. Eventually, if it happens, it's just gonna be React. And it's the same with Fiber, it's just React mm. 16. Yep, yep, that makes a lot of sense. So um let's talk about some of these specific projects that you're working on. And um I think that's an important insight that you mentioned too, because some of these things, uh, in my mind at least, they're really interrelated. Like we have suspense, we have concurrent mode, we have the new server rendering stuff. Um, I think React Fire is kind of in a class of its own with React DOM specific changes. Um, but yeah, can you talk with us a little bit about some of these projects that you have in flight and what the what the goals are a little bit, and and maybe start with what stage it's in, so we have a good um, idea of expectations. Yeah, so I think from the ones I mentioned, uh, so suspense, suspense is a difficult one because it's 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 a bit difficult to talk about because it's kind of ship it's going to be shipped in stages, and so mm-hmm. the first stage, you know, like when this uh, when like a rocket takes off and then it's like, yeah, yeah. So like we kind of did that already with sixteen six release, mm-hmm. so that includes the suspense component. And the lazy, uh, the uh, lazy wrapper, which is uh, we we like branded as suspense for code splitting. Mm-hmm. But that's just like one possible way to use suspense. So s- the idea of suspense uh, is it's declarative loading states. That's what it is. Mm. That's really all it is. So its ability for a React component to say, hey, like. Uh, I'm not ready to render. I need some whatever. Like I, I need to wait for something, which could be like wait for a code. It could be wait for image 
to like deload it and decode it. It could be like wait for like I don't know some well, some data call or whatever. Like we don't want to build data fetching in React, but we're building this uh, primitive primitive mm-hmm. yeah like a way for component to say that it needs something. It's not ready. Uh, because building that into React can actually unlock some very interesting features. And so one of those features that it unlocks is declarative floating states. So now that we, when we try to render a tree, we're like, oh, this thing is not ready. So what we can do is we can say, okay, we need to show a spinner. And so usually the way you do that is that you put right into that component, you put like if is loading, then something. But then you have to put that logic into like every every place where you want mm-hmm. to show a spinner. And so, uh, but if you think about it, like how do we, how do we handle errors? So like errors also can happen everywhere, mm-hmm. but we don't put like we don't put like error handling logic into every single function. So instead, we're like, oh, here's like a checkpoint. Here's the place where we're ready to handle errors, and then if anything below's, below below uh, like throws, we want to catch it. Mm-hmm. So that's like try catch uh, is like this uh, this model of letting some code like run, but then you can catch it, and you can uh, have nested try catches. So get, that gives you the granularity. So like if some inner code thinks I'm going to run this like file system call and then catch an error, and I want to handle it on my in my own way, then you can do it. And React 16 applied the same uh, philosophy to error handling with error boundaries. So with error boundaries, uh, like out from 16, uh, if anywhere in the component, uh, like a component throws, you can put like a uh, a shim, like an error boundary somewhere above it on the tree that says, if something in my tree fails, I'm going to be like fault tolerant. I'm going to show you some like error message, which can be like granular. So you can put it like around uh, specific uh, elements or you could uh, you could like put it at the top level. Usually you want some granularity. So like you put it uh, close to major UI elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is actually a great, uh, a great post by Brandon Dale on his blog uh about like how to use error boundaries so check that out um but anyway the same philosophy can be applied to loading states as well so you can say like we're rendering something then something is not ready and then like if it's maybe it's like an autocomplete widget and it's silly to put a spinner into the autocomplete widget because like the whole form is not really useful if the autocomplete widget is not useful so what people usually do is they just don't do cold split in there because it's just too annoying to like handle but if we could put a loading state above, like around the whole form, and say, if anything below is waiting for something, just show the spinner. And uh, you could have like nested ones. So that's what suspense really is. But for now, we only allow to use it for lazy loading components and code splitting. But the like the end game with suspense is that you can use it for everything. And then you could use like an image component that suspends until the image is ready. And so you could make sure that, like, if you have an emoji picker, when you pull it out, it doesn't like emojis don't pop in one by one, mm-hmm. but they just, phew. and um, that's that's really like the goal of the suspense uh, API is because it's now declarative, uh, we can understand where things suspend, uh, and we can show the right placeholder uh, uh, for that. So that's that's one project, but suspense is for data fetching specifically. There are like a bunch of unanswered questions and we're still figuring those out so like it's not going to ship in the next couple of months hopefully this year i don't know yet we'll see it's like very active uh research project right now Mm. um and so the other one you mentioned is concurrent mode Mm -hmm. and i think concurrent mode is the like the big picture for concurrent mode is um a lot of stuff kind of ties in together there, but really it's about, so a part of it is about non-blocking rendering. So currently the way React works is that if there is an update, React will just like go ahead, render everything, flush it, and like be done with it. But on large component trees, that means that while React is kind of walking the tree and doing something and like creating dumb nodes, uh, it's like the main thread is busy. You can't handle any events. Even if the event that happened, like if I deleted, like if I press some button, like I don't want to see this tab anymore. 
but this tab already started rendering, so you can't switch away from it. Like you gotta fin- it's gotta finish rendering, so it's it's blocked. And so what we want to have in React is that to make rendering non-blocking, so that React can start doing something. But then if you're like, oh, I want to do something else, there is no need to continue. We can just throw that away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to point out that this is not just like some workaround for like slow performance of React or something like this. Uh, even if you have like some kind of uh, reactivity system that like magically tracks like which thing has changed and like what is the minimal update, uh, like in a lot of apps, actually the updates are uh, they're not like uh, granular; they are very coarse. So like you switch from one page to another, there is no like thousand bindings to update. It's like you you move away one block and then you render a whole new tree, and you can't make that faster if like you're you're already like you, you gotta create those DOM nodes and you gotta make those data fetches and stuff like this. And so the question is, can we still uh, can we still make it more efficient and more optimal uh, and to be able to like pause in between? And if the user wants to do something different, we shouldn't like stall the browser. Mm-hmm. So that's really the big picture behind concurrent mode is that making this React do this by default because. You can kind of like make your own like graph loop uh, with your customization frame, and then try to be smart about like updates and like idle callbacks. But then it's very hard to orchestrate by yourself mm-hmm. because like if you try to uh, if you try to like progressively load comp- components by yourself without blocking, you're probably going to see intermediate states on the screen. So you're going to see like this tree appearing, like if you have like a bunch of comments and you try not to block rendering, you might be like inserting them in idle timeouts. And if you load the page, like all the things like, <laughs> jump around and it's, it's, a, it's really janky. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's not just like UI janky, but it, it causes reflows and like layouts mm-hmm. and style recalculation. So it's actually like it's worse for performance to like keep doing this. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do instead is you want to make the like the process of preparation, all of these things, non-blocking. But then you want to block when you like put it into DOM, which hopefully should be like an atomic operation. Right, just yeah, like pretty fast. Apply the update. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's, uh, that's really what concurrent mode does, uh, is the idea is that you wouldn't even have to like manage it, except sometimes you would have to like give hints to React about which update is urgent and which update can wait a little bit. And some patterns are a little bit different. So, like, if you want to take advantage of this, uh, like, of this behavior, you might want to opt in in a few places. Uh, but the general idea is that you write components in the same way, but React is just smart about not blocking the browser and instead working together with the browser to give you a good user experience, uh, regardless of uh, like of how fast your computer is. Uh, and this is something you can't even like achieve with debouncing. So one common solution is, okay, like maybe you have an input and you have like a, a list of items and maybe it's expensive to like re-render that list. So you just debounce, you wait for the input to stop typing and then you update. And so that's the naive solution. That's mm-hmm. how you avoid like jank when typing. Yeah, not a super but, user experience, but at least it's not janky. Yeah, but like it is actually. <laughs> so it is janky if you type something, happen to pause for mm-hmm. a second, it starts doing something, then you're like, you want to delete? It doesn't delete. It's like it's already in the process. So mm-hmm. there was these like random hiccups where you try to do something and then like it doesn't work because the debounced function kicked in and now you're blocked. So really, what we want to do is we want to do, and also the other problem is that on the fast computer, you're unnecessarily waiting for that whole second or like whatever your debouncing interval is. Mm-hmm. So the in concurrent mode, the idea is that if your computer is fast enough, you're gonna get results like as soon as as soon as you type. But then if it's slow, like you're not gonna block the type, and the results are just going to lag behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's awesome. I I think this has interesting implications on our existing code because like where with suspense, that's kind of a new feature. You opt into it by using it, but concurrent mode, um, if you aren't um, well, I I'm, I want to say if you're not careful, but it's it, basically if you're not idiomatic, um, then you can run into some problems with concurrent mode, like uh, realizing that, yes, my, my function component was called, 
um, but it actually may not have been rendered yet. And so it's going to be called again. And so if you're doing some side effects in there or, or something, you know, this non idiomatic stuff, then you could actually run into some problems. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that as well? Yeah, I think the most important, like it's, I think it's harder to do this mistake with like function components than mm -hmm. classes. And that was also a big motivation for hooks. It's just that a lot of those patterns kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's just harder to mess them up with hooks than it is with classes. Mm -hmm. uh, but even with classes, like you're not supposed to do side effects and render. Uh, like that's, that was pretty much like day one, mm -hmm. React 101. But like yeah, sometimes people do. Um, but I think the big, uh, the biggest, like, uh, the biggest change that concurrent mode brings in this sense is that just because a render was called doesn't mean that, like, the results of it will be flushed immediately, mm -hmm. uh, which is always, like, it's already the case with, with batching, right? So, like, mm -hmm. uh, when it, when it calls that state, it doesn't, uh, like, in event handler, your this.state doesn't update immediately. And concurrent mode is kind of a stronger version of that, which is like actually like more things are batched by default. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what essentially this means is that if uh, like even if your component got rendered, the render may get may get interrupted. So like we may walk to a component, it rendered, like it gave us some children, then we walk into children, and then the user like typed something else, and maybe this whole tree is now is irrelevant. So we'll just throw it away. Uh, so this is why, like, if you assume that the rendering necessarily means the component like will be mounted or like updated, uh, that 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 assumption might be violated. Mm -hmm. But then, even in classes, if you use life cycles uh, in the like in the intended way, so like component did mount and component did update are guaranteed to be flushed after like after it's committed. Mm -hmm. So like those are safe places to do side effects because by that time the DOM is guaranteed to be there. Mm -hmm. But like render is more kind of uh, uh, ephemeral, I guess. Right. Yeah. And and the same would apply to use effect um, as well. Right. Yeah. Right. So like don't do side effects in like function itself, do it in use effect, mm -hmm. which is like more obvious, I think, because well, render function is just supposed to return something. Why would you like do side effect in it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have been known to do side effects in render before um <laughs> so yeah and um there are if, if you're doing that there's a better way to do what you're doing i guess is what what we're uh, suggesting uh, and and it's more idiomatic as well so it's not typical that people are going to run in into these kinds of problems um but it's definitely something to uh to be aware of um so what what other we don't have a ton of time left, but what other projects are you currently working on um, in in the React team? What other yeah what other things are um, are you excited about? Um, so I for the past few months I've been mostly working on like kind of helping. Well, not fix hooks, but just like post-release maintenance. So like fixing bugs and hooks, uh, writing documentation. Uh, I made this ESLint plugin uh, called Exhaustive Depths. It's uh, so sorry, good. It's, it's so good. It's ESLint plugin React hooks. So good. Yeah, and, and the rule is Exhaustive Depths. So this is the thing to help you kind of build the right mental model around, uh, like if you specify use effect or use callback dependencies argument, this thing will tell you like when you're forgetting some of them, and uh, it's just something. It's not even like so much the 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 rule itself that helps. That just it helps you understand how how to think about them, and then you can see violations yourself. Uh, and I think like most of most of the work for me was not even like writing the intro in the past month, but it just figuring out how to think about those patterns and like what the best practices are and i think like we have a decent idea of what, what those are and those are like encoded into the rule itself uh, so i've been focusing on that but i think i like personally i'm most excited about like concurrent mode and suspense playing together uh it's still like there are still so many unsolved problems there but uh it's it also ties into the new server render that sebastian started working on mm. Um, that is streaming. So like you would be able to do asynchronous like data fetching on the server and then kind of stream that with the data on the client. 
And then there's uh, <laughs> okay. I don't. Let's just make sure that people listening understand the impact of what it is that you just said. That is so cool. Can, yeah, will you go ahead and continue? But I just want if if you were like coding up while you're listening to this podcast, I want you to stop because this is really really awesome. So the I think the other pretty out there thing about it is um, is that. So Sebastian's working on partial hydration, which is, again, like this idea, like if you take a step back, the way server rendering works is not very optimal, right? So like currently you, if you use Apollo, which does this double render, you might not notice it, but like in practice, uh, render on the server in React currently is synchronous. Mm -hmm. So you have to do some like convoluted way to like, gather your data dependencies, and then you get a send it all as HTML. Even if you use the node stream API, uh, you're still technically like sending, um, you like you can't, you can't pause it. Yeah. yeah. And so, and on the client, you're like, you're going to get the whole HTML first, and then you're going to get all JS. And then you're going to like hydrate it all, which is like render your whole app. Mm -hmm. And then it comes interactive. So that's not really like if you take a step back and like what is the like ideal way you want to do it? Uh, you want to flush uh, first of all. You want to flush HTML. Uh, like you want to do data fetching on the server because the latency is so low. Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to flush uh, uh, like you want to flush the page in chunks. So maybe you flush the like the shell of the page first, like the the layout, the like the sidebar or footer stuff like this and maybe in the middle like there's this like some kind of shimmer or some loading thing so you can flash that as html and it appears immediately and then you kind of st keep streaming back like more things as they like as you resolve the data dependencies on the server and you render those components and you stream them in together like interleaved with the data that they need on the client and the code and so you would be able to hydrate it progressively, like without loading, uh, like you don't want to load all JS just to render like something. And so what you could do is um, you could, like when the user starts interacting like with the button, but that button isn't hydrated yet. But now we know that like uh, we need to hydrate this, like the components uh, with this like ancestor path first. So then that becomes a priority, and then uh, if we get a uh, if if we get like a resource loading API, so this is still like a lot of this is in mm -hmm. flux because it it would work so much better with browser support and like we're working closely with uh, with browser folks on mm -hmm. this. Uh, so there are like standards proposals that would make it better, but like ideally we'd want to say that like oh this thing is important like user interacted with it give me that code or like as fast as you can and the server could stream in that code and we could like hydrate that part of the tree while like the rest of the tree is not necessarily hydrated yet it's like prioritized loading of everything and then like suspense could work on the client as well so it's, it's a very like integrated picture and i'm not telling you that you know that it's going to be available anytime soon uh, it's, it's kind of like a longer term thing for like maybe at, at the end of this year we'll have something. And it's probably going to be a lot more opinionated than you're used to from React because it's just uh, you can't integrate all of those things together if you don't have opinions on how to do certain things. Um, so we'll see about how that plays out. But like the basic building blocks uh, will be like we won't like hard code any specific like data fetch and implementation or anything like that. Um, so it's more about like allowing other opinionated implementations like Next.js Next uh, take full advantage of that uh, underlying component model. Mm. And so, yeah, those are like really, I think a lot of those uh, things are really exciting at the way they like interplay together and kind of influence each other and how you can combine them to uh, like to do things automatically that you just like it was just too much work to do them manually before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Like um, I'm super stoked about that. So I, I don't do a whole lot of server rendering stuff myself. Um, I, I use Gatsby and it does, you know, that, that magic stuff. Um, but um, one thing that I uh, have a question about with the server rendering specifically is 
um, it's my impression that uh, React that, uh, or Facebook doesn't actually use server rendering for in its major properties. Maybe it does for some things. I don't know. Maybe can, I, I'm mostly curious if React doesn't use server rendering, um, what is the uh, justifiable reason for Facebook to invest in that? So I think for uh, like for a long time, it was just like an open source thing. So we knew that a lot of people in the community care about it and that it it's kind of like a unique, uh, for a while it was like a thing unique to React that React could even do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seemed like we wanted to empower like other companies to invest into React to like be able to do this. Uh, so like the incentives were just that we thought that it's important and we kind of pushed, uh, pushed to work on this. Uh, but we're also like, we've experimented on and off with, uh, with using server rendering more like at Facebook mm. at different parts of timeline and like, uh, we'll see how it works out. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine if you get something like what you were describing working, that would be a pretty compelling reason for, um, a company like Facebook to, to rework um, some of the infrastructure to make that uh, a reality so yeah i think like the uh and the the like this idea with like chunks and chunk rendering is kind of influenced by the the thing that we use in uh like in, B, in, in hack and php this uh pagelet uh architecture which you can google like pagelets facebook or something like this and find the post from 2010 that like explains this architecture and why why it makes sense and while the Facebook website might not be like the best example because it's just vast over complicated, like there's just so much stuff there. Uh, but that's like a topic for yeah, <laughs> uh, for, for for another post. But the architecture itself is pretty solid, mm. uh, and uh, we're trying to like we're trying to combine the things that we learned at Facebook about like doing uh, like doing complex server rendering in like Hack with the things that we learned in the open source community uh, from like projects like Next.js, uh, Gatsby, and so on, and trying to find the best, uh, what, what is the most optimal thing that we could do. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, cool. So um, there's also React Fire. We didn't really talk too much about it. And I'll just link people to the, uh, to the GitHub issue that you posted back in August about this. Um, but uh, can you just give us an idea of, of um, where that is in the stage of of development, and like when we might expect to start seeing some changes there. So yeah, so the the fire thing is about uh, modernizing React DOM bindings. So there's a lot of stuff in React DOM that is, uh, I wouldn't say like necessarily outdated, but just like some design decisions around the event system and around the attribute and property handling, around web component support. Um, about like the way we where we bind to event listeners and stuff like this uh, is just like pretty old and some of these are worth reconsidering. Um, as Sebastian said somewhere that fire is not set in stone, it's more like lava. Uh, so it's like don't take these specifics. So these are just like specific things that we kind of wanted to look into. Like these are known problems, like listed in that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the project itself is uh, like we already prototyped the version of this, and uh, like we find that it, it turned out that like some of the event code is actually like is actually solving real problems. Mm-hmm. And like, if you try to remove it, then like a lot of stuff breaks because like actually browsers are not as consistent as people might think. Mm. Uh, but it also gave us some new insights about, okay, so if we have this event system uh, and like, if we think that it's actually valuable, which I think we're starting to think that it is valuable um, and that it actually like solves a bunch of problems. Um, then the problem is, okay, why does everyone pay for its weight uh, when they're like not using all of those events, or uh, if React doesn't even take full advantage of it, so like the vision for the event system uh, was way broader than whatever like uh, the lockdown version that we're kind of using today. Mm-hmm. And so the question is then, uh, if we do want to keep that code around, can we make it first of all like more like easier to extract if you don't use it, and second. Uh, for people who actually care about 
like uh, handling events consistently across touch and like uh, stylus and uh, like uh, mouse and all kinds of inputs and like handling gestures like taps, pans, wipes, all this kind of stuff. So like if if people do want a consi- like a consistent uh, uh, API for this, what would that API look like and can we kind of offer it as a opt-in uh, thing uh, that is uh, like integrated with React and works really well with it. So that's the current exploration. It's just none of this is set in stone. Like all of what I've said might be like invalid tomorrow. Uh, but we're we're actually getting a little bit excited about the event system. Like not the current one, but uh, we could build a better mm-hmm. one. And the things that it could enable that uh, like are real problems that like product engineers run into every day. Mm, very cool. Yeah, I uh, I linked to that in the the notes so people can take a look and dive in deeper. One, one thing that I'd asked on that issue that I'm kind of curious about is, um, and related to another project, um, and I'm just curious about the status of, of this, uh, is JSX version two. Is that a, a thing that's being actively worked on? I know, like, I feel like I've, I've seen that idea tossed around for several years already. So I, do you know what stage of development we're at for that? I think it's in the stage of like, it's it's not painful enough mm. to be worth it yet. Mm-hmm. If it's like, uh, I don't know, like we could have come up with hooks and like not ship them for like a long while until like there was some more pressing concerns. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of similar that we, like some of these changes would be nice, but it's so much churn for the ecosystem that it, we need something that would like make it worth it or some other kind of clean break that's like we can kind of attach it to mm-hmm. uh it doesn't seem like it's it's a uh it's an important thing to do right now but then like who knows maybe after we ship all of these features we're like okay like maybe it's time to fix JSX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we'll see. okay cool um so uh, to wrap us up a little bit i'd like to ask a um now that we have kind of an idea of some of the the cool things coming up with React, um, you know, there there's been a history in the React community. React is a framework. React isn't a framework. Um, but with some of these changes, it might start to feel like um, you know React is really becoming a framework if it wasn't before, because now we are kind of handling data fetching and we're doing um, you know server rendering and and all of this stuff. Is is React becoming bigger? Is it uh, is it um, are we just going to put everything into React and, and now we have the React CLI and we have these conventions that we follow and, and um, is that the future for React or what's what's the goal? What's the end game for React? Um, I don't find the distinction between a library and a framework very precise or helpful, but I think like in my mind, React has always and will be a library it's i think of next.js as a framework and i think that in the like eventually we'd want to uh, i think it's good when there is a library that is like the core solves the core concerns and then there is a framework that lets you leverage the library in the like in the best like in one possible opinionated way mm. that is uh, that is like pretty good, mm-hmm. and like others can create other frameworks that leverage it. So I think that's the like in terms of what we put into React versus outside of React. Like we want to keep, we don't want to, people to be stuck with like not optimal solutions if someone could write a a, a better mm-hmm. one. So um, that's why we keep React itself pretty lean. But then when we think about like like a lot of people use react as just like a view layer but react hasn't ever really been a view layer because the notion of a view is very static um, yeah so people often mean by view it's just like a mapping between uh between like uh, some inputs and and ui but react has always been a ui library it's like not an mvc library it's not a web framework it's a your it's a library for building user interfaces 
regardless of your environment, regardless of like uh, the broader, like maybe it influences your broader architecture, but it's always like it's also like its own thing, and it cares about uh, this abstraction, a component. And so I think uh, this is why React doesn't have its own routing or its own data fetching because like those things are kind of external uh, to, uh, to to this idea of a component. And like uh, we, but then on the other hand, if we look at how people use React, you will notice that a lot of components like do data fetching because like it's it's related. It's a UI concern in a way. And so it might be tempting to like say, oh, let's just add like uh, get fetch, like let's just make like render like return a promise or like add get fetch data to like render and so on. Uh, but this is like when Sebastian kind of takes like <laughs> 10 steps back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what we realize is that usually if something is related to UI, then you can split the task that people think of it as a single thing, like a data fetching. You just think, oh, data fetching. What could be like, or, or like routing. But it's actually like, there's usually some lower level primitive that is uh, that is related to the UI abstraction. So in the case of components, uh, it's like the ability to suspend rendering. So it's not that they, it's, it doesn't matter what they wait for. Like, is it like data or code or an image or something else? Really the, like the language level almost, like React is not a language, but it kind of behaves a lot like a mm-hmm. language. And the language level primitive here is that you want to say, I want to wait for this thing and then continue. And then React can be then smart about it and like, oh, like this component is waiting for something, but I can still render all of these components. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it gives React unique flexibility to do things that you can't just do by like putting data fetching aside. So as an example, like maybe you switch a tab and you're going to like with concurrent mode, we can actually wait a little bit before like showing the spinner, but we can uh, we can kick off like rendering of like header, footer, and like all of these different elements that are like static uh, in a non-blocking way. But then some things might be waiting for data, and so they're like they're suspended, and then they continue. And eventually, when it's ready, we show the result. And if it if it's ready like fast enough, we don't even show the spinner. We just like we just don't do the transition until until the time. Like it's it's you can't really perceive the difference. So it feels like instant. Mm-hmm. So that's really the thing that you get by integrating uh, those UI concerns, which is like waiting for like waiting for things into the library, but then pulling out the things that are like uh, they can have different implementations, like Apollo, Relay, some kind of simple cache. So you can pull those like things that actually manage the data. And implement them like in different ways with different trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really the what we and that's the way like we always did it with React is that instead of uh, adding like applied features that correspond to specific use cases, we try to find what is the primitive that we can add to the component that can empower like everyone to create those uh, specific abstractions. Uh, the, that are specific to a use case like routing, uh, data fetch, and, and so on, that all benefit from this shared common denominator that React can efficiently manage a component. And so it's all about empowering and like raising the abstraction level so that uh, like React can coordinate all these components to work together really well. But then you you have the freedom to actually do different things from them depending on like how how, how you implement them. So I think that's like the like for me the the end game is just that uh, we've made components useful enough that it's easy to create really like compelling user experiences that like don't freeze your browser that don't flash a lot of spinners or like don't pop elements one by one but instead like show you the whole thing and so they automate uh, uh, making the UI like good UX Mm -hmm. and in a way that you could work around it. Like you can make, you can do it by yourself. 
manually on a small app, but it's impossible to like orchestrate a large app to uh, just like prepare a beautiful new screen and push it at the right place and so on. And so I think a big part of this is just figuring out the idiomatic solutions so that instead of coding around it in an ad hoc way and like adding these hacks to make the user experience nicer in like random components, instead, this is just how it works by default. And then uh, like, if you want a crappy experience, you can opt out of it. Mm. So I think that's that's the end game of React, and we're just trying to uh, we're just trying to find a good base abstraction and then uh, make React smart enough to deliver a great user experience. Oh, that's that's so great! I I love that um, that goal there. And and one thing that I feel like is a really good takeaway for people who are listening is um, to like think of Sebastian's example of uh, what you've described is how you you stop and and you. Um, question all the assumptions and you say, now we, we make the assumption that this is a problem and we are assuming that this is the reason that's a problem, but actually it could be this more foundational, fundamental piece. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, product engineers or library authors or whatever could benefit from that type of intentional process. Um, when you have a issue, a GitHub issue where somebody says, hey, I'm having this problem I suggest that we add an additional option to opt out of that or something like, you know, Dan, you're smiling. This happens all the time. Um, instead of giving an additional option, maybe there's another um, uh, primitive that you could expose or, uh, you know, a pattern that you could implement, like inversion of control or some other um, thing that could empower not only solving their problem, but also um, eliminate an entire class of problems. Um, which yeah. I think is kind of gets other a new class of problems, which are hopefully not worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, always good to keep that in perspective. All right, cool, Dan. Uh, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting with me again about um, the future of React and and kind of let you know rethinking what is uh, what is are the goals of React here. Um, I think a lot of people are going to appreciate this episode and, and pull a lot out of it. So. I thank you again for giving me your time. Thank you. All right. We will see everyone. Well, we won't see everyone, but you'll hear us um, uh, next week or whenever you listen to the next episode. Thanks. Goodbye.